Open your Bibles again to the book of Micah. Maybe you found Daniel, maybe you found Jonah. Next you can find Micah. I'm going to preach tonight on this subject. Have you heard about God's trial? Have you heard about God's trial? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word tonight. My first thought was to say to the people, please listen, and that is my heart's desire, but Holy Spirit, I'll ask you to stir our hearts, to stir our hunger, to stir our appetite for the Word of God. I pray that disturbances would be to a minimum tonight, and I pray that we would hear a message, I believe, that is of most importance in our lives in this culture for our day to day. Thank you that the word of God is never outdated, but it's always up to date. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Micah was a prophet, and Micah declared a coming judgment on the people of Israel for two basic sins, though there were many. The two that led them to where they were was idolatry. Now, idolatry is anything that replaces us putting God first in our lives. <clears throat> anything that comes in the way of our worship of God, anything that we put before God is idolatry. That led to the common sin that typically follows idolatry, and that is the sin of immorality. And there was immorality on every hand, and God said, I'm going to have to bring judgment on the land. One of the major problems of the day, there were many prophets that had been hired to say what the people wanted to hear rather than what thus saith the Lord. And those prophets were in God's mind and attention. And he talked about them in chapter 3. And in Micah chapter 6, God said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to meet me in court. And I want you to tell me why you think you have a right. After I've delivered you from the land of Egypt, and that's what he says in verse number 4, and that was a, that was a reminder. And, and you say, God didn't deliver us from Egypt. God saved our soul. That's what he's talking about. Anytime there's a reference of deliverance from Egypt, that doesn't apply to the children of Israel only. That, implies, that applies to all of us. I've saved you. I've set you free from bondage. And I want to know, I want you to prove in court what right you have to walk away from me. I, 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 want, I want you to prove what right you have for your rebellion and sin. I, I want you to prove in court what I've done that's wrong. And I want us to just meet in court and make a decision on who is right and who is wrong. Notice the wording of chapter 6, verse number 1. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before. Now here's the jury. The jury that will hear the arguments are. Hear before the mountains and let the hills Hear thy voice. Now it's interesting. God uses many things to get our attention for imagination. Uh, and, and, and for example, he'll, he tells us to learn from the ant. He tells us to learn from the coney. He tells us to learn from nature. 
And throughout the Bible, we'll see it again in a moment, the Bible talks about how if, if, if we didn't praise God, the rocks would cry out and praise him. And so he says we're going to go to court and the jury is going to be the mountains and the jury is going to be the hills. Look at verse 2. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. We're at a disagreement. I'm saying one thing, they're living another. They're complaining that my rules are too strict. They're complaining that it's too much to serve me. And so as I bring judgment on them, they're saying I'm not fair. So I want the jewelry, the mountains and the hills. I want you to hear the controversy. And ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? God asked a question. What have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? You're going to have an opportunity to testify. You'll get to stand up in court and you'll get to testify against me. I want you to tell me what has happened. Very interesting. So we see the picture of a courtroom. We see God. We see his people, Israel, representing you and I. And we see a jury of people. How many of you have ever sat in a juror's box? You've been in a juror's box. How many of you? No, I won't ask that question. Um, uh, and, 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 and the jury is the one that's going to listen to the case that's presented, and they're going to make a decision whether there is innocence or guilt. That's the picture. In this passage of Scripture, that is the thought. That is the picture. Go ahead and place me on trial. The mountains and the rocks, the hills and the valleys, they'll make the decisions. Interesting, uh, Psalm 96, verses 11 and 12, talks about how nature praises God. Isaiah 55, 12, the Bible says this, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Luke 19, verse number 40 is an interesting verse. The Bible says, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Here's one of the most interesting verses I found on this subject, and it is the gravestone of Joshua's grave. Listen to what the Bible says about that. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it, the stone, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore be a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. And so we're in the courtroom, and we have a jury, and the jury is the Alps, the Alleghenies, the Smoky Mountains, the Rockies, Appalachia, the mountains they gather. They gather in the jury to listen to man and to listen to God. God speaks first. He tells the people to speak up in the courtroom and make their charge against them. God wants to know if they have a reason as to why they've rejected his will and neglected worship of God. Hear me well. He asked them if they had a reason to rebel and sin against God. He tells them, I want you to present your case to the jury. I want them to hear and decide if I, if God has been good, if God has been fair 
if God has been just. Now think of this. This really happens every day of our life. Do you know there are many that charge God for the tragedies that we see in our lives around us, in our nation, and nations around the world? Many times uh, Christians are upset at God for things that are going wrong in their lives. A man steps up to the witness box and complains about sin. And as we begin the trial here, a man steps in and he says, Well, God, uh, life is not fair. Uh, We did not choose to sin. Adam sinned, but we did not, which is not true. And we have this idea that man is basically good and God has a world design that's filled with temptations and and while man may want to do right, uh, there's so many temptations to do wrong. And man wants to know why he's been placed in a world of lust and, and temptations and claims that God is not fair of where and how we have to live. Some say God is the cause of sin. Some say God is the cause of war. Why did God place us or put us in a place where there are sins and temptations to our flesh? Some would say, I don't think it's right that God would expect us to live right. I don't think it's right that God would have such a high moral standard. I don't think it's right that God would request us to give him our first of everything. The nation of Israel was about to be punished because of their sin. And as I said, their idolatry and their immorality and they were saying that it is not fair and God has not been just. God then is called on to respond to defend to the, uh, to defend the charges that are made against him. The jury is listening as the defendant responds to the indictments of being unjust or being unfair. Someone who has said, I don't think it's right uh, that I've had to suffer uh, the difficulty and the sickness and the problems that I've suffered. Uh, God, it is your turn to respond to the charges. God does not, and God begins to testify and he said, I do not forbid you to fulfill the desires of your flesh. I simply put boundaries around those desires. God is responding. I want you to hear what he's saying. I have not forbid you to fulfill the desires of your flesh, but I've simply put boundaries around those desires and here's why. I do not want those desires to become your slave master. I don't want you to be enslaved to the desires of your flesh. It is good and right to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It just must be done within the parameters of freedom or within the laws of liberty. God says, I have not forbidden you to listen to music. I have not forbidden you to have money. I have not forbidden you to have possessions. I have not given, uh, I have not forbidden you to have a husband or a wife. I have not forbidden you to look with your eyes or to hear with your ears. I simply put limitations on those things, not because I wanted to limit your freedom, but because I didn't want those things to enslave you. Does that make sense to us tonight? 
God says every appetite, every appetite within, uh, I placed it there and I put it there to be fulfilled, but I want you to enjoy it, but I want you to understand there's a boundary so that the behavior does not become your slave master and you're not enslaved to the sin or to the behavior that would become a sin. For you see, sin is not necessarily the behavior. It's an abuse of the limitations of the behavior. You see, immorality is saying, immorality is saying, I don't want to be limited to one husband or one wife. God said, I gave you those desires, but you're to enjoy those desires within the limitation. You can't live outside those because if you do, you will become a slave to those things rather than the enjoyment being fulfilled that I want you to have. They'll become your slave master. May I say tonight as we look at our nation, many are enslaved to those behaviors. They are controlled by those behaviors. Uh, God says, uh, God didn't forbid us to drink juice. He said, I just want to put a limitation on it. I want you to drink it before it ferments. If you drink it after it ferments, it will enslave you. You won't enjoy it, but you'll become the slave and it will become the master. If we could understand tonight and God is responding to the charge that is unjust or that is unfair or we live in this difficult world and it, it just doesn't seem right that we're able to live right and the standards and his expectations are so high. But God says to us, I want you to understand, I gave you those things for enjoyment. I put the limitation on them so you wouldn't become a slave to those things. The only thing in this life that is made wrong are the things that would enslave the people I love. People are to worship God and we're not to serve as slave to the things I give you. You see, idolatry was taking a blessing that God had given. Don't miss it. He was taking a blessing that God had given and saying, I love that blessing more than I love the blesser that gave it to me. So I'm going to start worshiping the blesser, uh, the blessing rather than the blesser. And God said, if you do that, you'll become enslaved. That blessing can't answer your prayers. I'm the one that answers your prayers. The things that you enjoy, they can't help you. They can't comfort you. They can't strengthen you. Don't take a blessing and make it so big that it's bigger than me. You need me. I just want you to understand the limitation is only there to keep that from becoming a slave master. That isn't all. God pleads in his response. He pleads to the jury of the mountains and the hills and the rocks and he says, I also gave you a new nature. I gave you a new nature that would combat the old nature so that the old nature cannot bring us into slavery and bondage. And he tells us about that in 2 Peter in chapter 1, how we are made partakers of his divine grace and of his uh, uh, nature, of his divine nature. And the new nature that God gave us at salvation is powerful and in fact is the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. The new nature is 
is greater than he that is in the world. I didn't put those limitations on you to hurt you. I put those limitations on you so you would enjoy my blessings. I also gave you a new nature. I put my spirit within you to help you. You hear me tonight, the preacher that preaches against sin, the mom and dad that takes a stand against wrong, they're not trying to keep from having fun. They're preaching to protect your joy, to protect your happiness that God wants us to have. A rebellious spirit is not a spirit against the behavior. It's against the boundaries of the behavior. You understand God made all things good and all things right for them to be enjoyed as he told us. And if we follow his direction, we follow his will. There is great joy in living as a child of God. The jury says, demand. Do you have other accusations? Man says, yes, we do. Man stands again to accuse God. This time the charge against God is a charge against heartaches and brokenness and hurt and pain and trials. It doesn't seem fair that God brings these trials, these difficult circumstances into our lives. Why is it that I have to struggle along? Why is it that I have to face difficulties and things uh, that come in my life uh, that are so hard and I, I just have to struggle through those things? God, again, they say, is not fair. The jury says, God, do you have a response? And God stands to defend the charges against him and he begins by saying, I love man. Man is my creation. However, man has a stubborn nature within him. And it's important to discipline. And if I don't discipline him, he'll go on into that sin that would destroy him. You see, discipline is not to hurt the child. It's to say to the child, you need to learn to hate this discipline so you avoid a greater discipline. You see, children need to learn to obey God and do right. And, and we as parents, our job is to enforce the doing of right. I'd rather for my children to receive my instruction of correction than to receive one from a police officer. I'd rather them receive instruction and correction and discipline from me than to receive it from a prison uh, from a penitentiary. I don't want them to get to that place. I want them to learn. And so God says, yes, I do discipline man. And also I have to bring difficulty to prepare him for the ability to have victory in his life. Think about this. The army prepares a soldier for battlefield. Is it unfair that they wake him up early in the morning? Is it unfair that they limit what he can eat? Is it unfair that they require him to have a physical ability and strength and stamina? Is it unfair that they teach them to be a part of a team? Is it unfair that they teach them to be subordinate to those that are leaders and those that are in charge? Is it, is it fair that they would raise their voice? Is it fair that they would discipline them and they would cross a line? The truth is I think it would be unfair to send a soldier to war that had not first been to boot camp. 
I think it would be unfair to send a fireman to a huge fire not having sent them to training and training that is not easy, training that is difficult. God says, are you mad at me because I've prepared you for victory? Are you upset at me that I put you through trials to find out that in your weakness my strength is made perfect? Are you upset at me? Do you think I'm unfair because you had to pray for a week to overcome a trial? Do you think I'm unfair because you learned to fellowship with me through the times and hours of difficulty? I didn't do that to hurt you. I was preparing you. I was preparing you as a young Christian for the day that you as an older Christian would lead younger Christians. By the way, you've never faced a trial that I didn't choose to face. I left the portals of glory. I left heaven and I came to live among sinful men. I suffered opposition. I suffered hunger. I suffered thirst. I've never put you through a trial that I didn't go through. In fact, you've never been through a trial that I didn't go with you. You think I'm unfair that you've faced a trial in your life? You think I'm unfair that you faced a discipline in your life? The scene changes in the courtroom. Man has made his charges against God. God has defended his actions. And now God says, I have some charges I want to bring against man. Since we're here in court, and since the jury of these mountains have assembled, and before a verdict is made about my being just or my being loving or my being good or my being fair, I just want to say, first of all, I gave to these who have rejected me, I gave them my son. He left heaven to live among them. He went to a world that he created, but in that world he had no place to lay his head. He was beaten by the hands of wicked men, though he was innocent and they could find no fault in him. I sent my son to the cross and they nailed him to the cross. I turned my back on him so the sins could be laid upon him. They cursed me as they curse me now. Do you think I don't love you or love the world? I prepared heaven for you. I cared for your needs. I've caused the sun to shine each morning and I've, I've caused the rain to fall and the food to grow and the cattle and the sheep to reproduce after their kind. I've, I've given you food of every kind from the land and from the sea. Man, can I ask you, how can you say that I don't love you? What day was it the sun didn't rise? What day was it that I didn't meet your need? What was the day that you prayed and I didn't hear and answer your prayer? The jury says to man, would you like to respond to the charges of God? Man bows his head because he has no answer. He is not able to respond. He stands there in silence and with a bit of shame-facedness. The jury steps out to deliberate. Is God fair? Is God the culprit of sin? Is God the cause of war and pain? Is man right in his charges against God? Has God been unfair and unjust to them as they've charged? Do they have a right to walk away and live as they want to live? 
Do they have a right to break these boundaries down and prove that God wasn't fair to put that limitation on them? The jury reassembles. The first of the jury stands and says, My name is Mount Calvary. I'd like to give my verdict. I watched in the distance as the kangaroo court assembled. I watched as the priest, the high priest, I watched as those made accusations against him. I watched as they sentenced him to death on my mountain. I watched as they beat him in the distance. And they took the cross and they placed it on his back. Mount Calvary says, I watched as he began to walk up the mountain. He had been beaten beyond human recognition. In fact, he was very weak as he carried his own cross. Mount Calvary testifies and says as he walked up the hill, he stumbled and fell. Another helped to carry the weight and the burden of the cross. I watched as they slowly made their way up the mountain. I saw the condemned one. I saw the two malefactors that was with him. I watched as there was a struggle between the Roman soldiers and those two malefactors that had also been convicted, but they were convicted of wrong. I watched as Roman soldiers took out a hammer in one hand and reached in a pouch for huge nails, nails that would go all the way through their hands into the cross, nails that would go into their feet. The two struggled with the soldiers, but I watched Jesus. There was no struggle. He put his hand out. And I watched as he gave his life for you, the accuser. I heard him cry. I heard him say that he was thirsty. And I watched as they gathered something to drink. And I recognized it was not something to drink, but it was a drink that was an offer of mockery. It was vinegar. I watched as the Roman soldiers laughed. They stripped away his garments and they laughed at him as he hung between heaven and earth naked. Those who loved him looked away in shame. Others mocked and I heard the cries on the mountain that night say. He said he was Christ and others he can save but himself he cannot save. The soldiers began to gamble to see who would get his clothes so they could tell the story. I got the clothes of the one that said he was Christ. His mother was there on my mountain that day. I watched her as she wept and with shame and a broken heart. I heard Jesus say to a brother to care for his mother. I heard Jesus cry again. And this is what he said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was still day, but it was odd that day the sun began to set and darkness came across my mountain. It had never been dark at that time in the day before. I heard a cry, and he said, it is finished. 
my decision as part of this jewelry is this man is innocent of your charges. The second mountain stands to speak in the jewelry and he says, I'm the mountain where he fed the 5,000. I watched him as the multitudes gathered. I watched the compassion on his face and even tears in his eyes as he watched the crowd gather. Certainly was concerned for their spiritual needs, but I watched and he was concerned even for their physical needs. And when he found out there wasn't enough bread to eat, I watched as he took five loaves and two fishes and he fed that whole multitude of people. I saw one man staggering around. He couldn't see, but Jesus touched his eyes and made him see. There were those around that could not hear, and I watched Jesus touch their ears, and he made them hear. I watched some as they struggled to come where Jesus was. They could not walk, but Jesus met them, and he touched those crippled limbs, and he made them whole again. Some jumped, some ran, some shouted for joy as they'd never been able to run and walk before. I saw the disciples one day say to the children, now you stay away from Jesus and don't bother Jesus, but I heard Jesus say to them, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And I watched him set a little child in the midst and say, the greatest is the little child who has faith in me. My decision is, this man is innocent of the charges of being unjust, the charges of being unfair. This man is innocent. Another mountain stands to speak from the jewelry. He identifies himself as a Mount of Olives. As the Mount of Olives begins to speak, he said, I watched him as he came to pray. He had been there before and I'd heard him pray before, but this time... He prayed with great agony. In fact, I watched him as he prayed, and he prayed so hard that he began to perspire. And the sweat came from his body as if it were as if it were great drops of blood. And I heard him cry, and I heard him say, Father, not my will, but thine be done. I heard him agonize. I heard him yield. I watched in the distance as the soldiers approached. They were coming as if they were coming to arrest a criminal. I watched as they came and took Jesus away. I don't agree with Pilate or Pilate's court. I don't agree with your charge against him. The Mount of Olives issues a verdict. He's innocent. A final mountain speaks. And the last mountain says, I'm the mountain that is called the place of temptation. I watched Jesus as he was baptized in the Jordan. And I watched him as he approached my mountain. He came to where I was. And he would begin his ministry shortly, and I listened as he prayed. It came time for lunch that day, but I watched Jesus did not eat. It came time for supper, but Jesus continued to pray. The darkness began to fall on that mountain of temptation, and I was concerned because in my mountain were animals 
There were lions. They, they were animals that would take a man's life. And I wondered, will he stay here alone in the night? But I watched as those animals, they did not bother Jesus. As I watched, he prayed through the night. The second day came and it was like the first. He didn't have anything to eat for breakfast, nothing for lunch, and nothing for supper. I saw him as the days progressed and hunger began to set in. Then I watched as Satan himself came. And he began to tempt Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Why, if you're the Son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. It's obvious Jesus could do it because just on another mountain over, I watched him take five loaves and two fishes and feed the multitude. Surely he could take the stones and turn them into bread. But he didn't. And he answered the devil with the very word of God. Satan came again and came again the third time. There were 40 days of the temptation. I saw his love. I saw his compassion. I joined Mount Calvary. I joined Mount Olive. I joined the others to say he is innocent. There is then a cry that comes from the sun and the moon, the stars, the galaxy, the clouds, and they all cried together. God has never failed to set us in our place. God has never failed to feed and care for and to love man. God has called the, caused the flowers to bloom season after season. And many times man did not take even a moment to stop and say thank you for the flowers. I watched as he fed with the food, the fruit, the meat, the water. And very few times did man stop and say God thank you for your goodness to me. There were times it seemed that the food would be delayed and while I hadn't heard a prayer of thanksgiving in some time, I did hear the complaints as they began to come. May I say tonight, folks, God is never guilty of our charge against him of being unfair. But God is good. God is always good. He is worthy of our praise. God's already been to trial. It's recorded right here. I don't think it's necessary that I put him on trial the next time I go through a difficulty. I think I'll just say, there must be a battle ahead that God wants me to win. And he's preparing me for that battle today. There must be a difficulty ahead that God wants me to be the victor in. I'll go through the training today and I'll gladly sing on the other side there's victory. In Jesus. Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God of mercy. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's patient. He's fair. He's righteous. He's holy. He's powerful. He's tender. He's forgiving. He's long-suffering. He's more than tongue can tell. He's more than pen could ever write on a piece of paper or sing in a song or give in a speech or a sermon. I say tonight, take God off trial and praise him for who he is. The world may not comprehend it or accept it. They may not even want it. They may not want even to think about it. They may not love it. They may not agree with it. But God is good and he's always good. And it has been good. And so the verdict tonight is, God's always right. He's always just. He's always good.
So I'll take his precepts and I'll say, Lord, thank you for the desires of my flesh that you've given me. Help me to enjoy those within the parameters because, Lord, I don't want anybody to be who I would worship and take the place of you. I don't want to worship things. Thank you for every blessing that I have, but help me to enjoy it within the parameters and limitations that you've set because I don't want them to become my God. I want you to be my God. And so tonight we conclude, the jury says, God is good. Stand with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, sometimes we foolishly question you. Sometimes we foolishly doubt your love and your goodness. The devil is always looking for an opportunity to make an accusation that we would agree with. May we know you, may we know your word enough that we would say when Satan would bring accusation against you, Lord, that we would say, Satan, you're wrong. God does love me. He loves me in the good times. He loves me in the tough times. I pray that tonight as we begin to make our preparation for time of thanksgiving, Lord, a wonderful time of the year. We're not just thankful for what we have. We're thankful for the who. We're thankful for you being our provider. Help us tonight to make adjustments in our attitude in our lives towards you. To show that we do love you and we do believe and agree that you're a good God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.